Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. Last time on HI101, Paul McGowan and I talked about two seemingly separate conflicts happening halfway around the world from each other in the late 70s and early 80s. First was the struggle between the CIA-funded Contras and the socialist Sandinista faction of the Nicaraguan government. Then we spent an unfortunately brief amount of time on the Iran-Iraq war that defined the entire 80s for these two countries. And when we closed the show, these two things seemed to have almost no relation. Today, we'll take all of that time we spent last episode and use it almost exclusively as background information necessary for properly understanding one of the biggest intelligence gaps in U.S. history, in which these two events became very closely linked through a CIA scheme to influence foreign affairs. There's a lot of material to cover, so let's begin. All right, we're here on HI 101 with Paul McGowan. Hi there. How's it going? Uh, It's going good. That's good. So, we're talking... Iran-Contra affair. Yeah. And last time we spent the whole time setting up this political scandal that's about to take place. I didn't actually get around to the politics at all. No, we've been all over the world already. Yeah. So, I mean, really what we're looking at here in terms of like a common thread is uh, U.S. involvement in foreign affairs. And... You know, like I said last time, it's really hard to talk about this stuff without sounding super anti-American. So just something to keep in in mind as we go through that it's not necessarily about bashing the United States. But, you know, at the same time, nothing that we're talking about here is speculation or opinion. This is this is stuff that happens. So, yeah, you know, unless unless the facts are an issue, then I think we're pretty much okay. So. One of the questions we left off with last time was if the United States is backing Iraq so hard in the Iran-Iraq war, like how does selling arms to Iran even play into all of this? Yeah. Let's get straight down to that one today. Really what it comes down to is hostage taking in the Middle East. It still happens all the time now, but it was really big in the 80s that various terrorist groups or even government groups would take American hostages and demand ransom for them. Right. And the the official position of the United States government is... We do not negotiate with terrorists. That's the one. Which is problematic for all of those hostages that are being taken. Yeah. And I think the reality of the situation is less we do not negotiate with terrorists and more 
we're very, very careful about how we negotiate with terrorists. Sure, because otherwise, otherwise people would just stop taking terrorists if it wasn't yielding anything productive. Taking hostages. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's that's correct. I, I mean, the reason they don't negotiate with terrorists is in order to basically deny them any legitimacy, right? Sure. Because a state doesn't deal with individuals, like. I can't talk to the U.S. government. I can't get them to, like, negotiate with me on an official level. Mm -hmm. And neither can, in in theory anyway, neither can a terrorist group. But if they were to negotiate with them, it puts them on the same level as, say, another state, which, you know, does a couple of things. It raises the legitimacy of the terrorist organization to the level of another state, which we don't want to do. It kind of lowers the uh, standard by which the United States judges other states worthy to negotiate with, yeah. which is a problem as well. Like, there's there's a lot of problems with actually uh, having an official standpoint of negotiating with them. And finally, you don't want to encourage hostage taking. Right. It's just, there's there's a learned behavior going on there. Yeah. And if you learn that all you need to do to make a couple million dollars is find some American tourist and hold them hostage. You'd be dealing with so many hostage takers. So many hostage takers. That didn't stop people from trying. One of the worst places for this at that point in time is Lebanon. There were a lot of different organizations working out of Lebanon. uh, And most of them were taking American hostages for whatever reason. Uh, They each kind of had their own for that. The one that we're going to look at specifically is one called the Army of the Guardians of the Islamic Revolution. They all have the coolest names. That's that's too long, though. You think so? That's too long. It's, it's, I mean, it's very ostentatious. Yeah. It's very grand. Yeah, but it's not, I feel like if you're an army, you gotta be able to, like, chant your name, you know? I guess. Maybe you can, like, well, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's probably got, like... An Arabic name or something. Probably. Or or whatever. I, I'm not sure. Actually, no, it wouldn't be Arabic because uh, they have ties to Iran. They okay. weren't actually officially sponsored by the Iranian government, but they have strong ties to Iran at this point in time. Okay. So they were sort of like unofficially sponsored? Yeah. See, stuff like that gets very, very fuzzy. Right. In that at this point in time, and, and we're talking mid-80s right now, Iran has been labeled as a a state that sponsors terrorists. Okay. So the United States would look at this group and go, yes, they are officially sponsored by Iran. Uh, The government of Iran might have something else to say about it. Sure. Where the real truth of that is, is probably not something that we're ever going to actually get because if any members of this cell still are alive, they're probably not talking about their like logistical situation sure there were seven hostages being held in 1985 seven american hostages being held by the army of the guardians of the islamic revolution you're right it's too long i see that point (laughs) there were seven hostages being being uh held and basically they were the the uh the american government specifically the um NSC, National Security Council, is looking at, like, what can we do about this? So the National Security Advisor, Robert McFarlane, comes up with an idea. He says, okay, 
one of the things that we don't do, uh, and, and I mean, this wasn't on the same level as we don't negotiate with terrorists, but one of the big buzzwords at that point was that they don't give arms for hostages. Okay. Because that's something that a lot of groups would ask for, right? Because the Americans have arguably the most advanced military in the world in the 1980s. You can make a very good case for that. Sure. Um, in fact, it would be difficult to make a case otherwise. A lot of these guys want their hands on some American military technology. That would be a huge win for them. Sure. So rather than getting their however many million dollars, if they can just get straight up military tech, they'll take it. So they were very conscious of the idea of not giving military hardware for hostages. However, McFarlane, actually on advice uh, of one of his um, uh, one of his staff members, says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk to Israel, who are our very good friends right now. And we're going to have Israel, who is still, strangely enough, on speaking terms with Iran, one of the few countries it still is. Okay. And we're going to have Israel sell munitions to this Iranian arms dealer. This guy's name is, oh no, Manicher, uh, what is it, Gorbanifar? They call him Gorba, which is what we're going to stick with. Okay. This guy is, he's still around. He's like an internationally known arms dealer, which is like a thing that I thought only existed in like movies, but apparently is a real thing. I mean, obviously. You would also think that if you, you know, had that kind of career, it it would be like a shorter. You'd think it would catch up with you. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, there's, there's a lot about this story that feels very fictional. Which is part of what draws me to it personally. Um, And I I know it's the same for a lot of other people too. But So they make contact with Gorva and they're like, okay, so the Israeli government is going to give them, we're going to start out with uh, about 100 anti-tank missiles. Uh, They're called tow missiles. Okay. It means uh, tube-launched, optically guided, or sorry, optically tracked, wire guided. Basically what that means is that it's a bazooka that has like when you launch it there's two little wires that are still attached to the missile okay and you've got a sight on it that you can move the sight and by moving the sight where the sight is pointed the wires will guide the missile there that explains so many james bond games that i played as a, <laughs> as a kid i was like how am i how am i supposed to be guiding this I, I mean, a lot of the other ones will use, or a lot of more modern ones will use lasers to paint the target. Right, right. But at this point, it's a lot cheaper and a lot simpler to use a tow system. Mm-hmm. One of the problems with like the most cutting-edge military technology is that there are more parts to break down. And if you are a freedom fighter, you probably don't have the facilities to repair them right. sufficiently. So you want, like, you don't necessarily want like the most complicated thing out there you want the one that is least likely to fail you in a bad situation sure the tow system was tried and true uh it doesn't really break down very easily there aren't a lot of like there's not a lot of circuitry to go bad in them in comparison to other similar systems i should say i mean they're still complicated in comparison to like a dumb firing bazooka but yeah you know uh, for for what they needed, it's uh, it's about as sophisticated as you can go without sacrificing reliability. So 
they ask the Israelis to send over about 100 of these tow missiles. Then what the U.S. government will do is sell Israel, who are their allies, so this is okay. They will sell Israel arms to, like, bring their stock back up to where it was. Right. So they're not selling anything to Iran. Let's keep things completely clear here. Very straight. They're not selling anything to Iran. Israel is selling what they what the United States tells them to. Israel is selling exactly that much to Iran through this arms dealer that they've made contact with. And then the United States is selling the stock to Israel to bring them back up to where they were. Gotcha. Sounds a lot like selling it to Iran, doesn't so it? So are they Yeah. And are they are they then I guess selling these these missiles to Israel at a discounted rate? Because in this Right, because so so Israel is selling them to Iran, and then Israel then has to purchase more from the United States. Essentially, they're taking whatever money that Iran gives to Israel and saying that will cover the missiles that we're giving you to replace this. Okay. So Israel isn't losing anything on this deal. They are as much a middleman, like as purely a middleman as you could possibly be in any situation. Okay. So no, Israel isn't losing any money on this deal. They are just doing the United States a favor. There's a lot of stuff, when, especially when you're dealing with the CIA, there's a lot of stuff where semantics matter a lot, like this, where really essentially the U.S. is selling arms to Iran. But in reality, uh, there's several steps, so they can pretend to be more removed from the situation. Sure. So why are, we sending, why are we selling arms to Iran here? The reason is they're hoping that if they sell arms to Iran, one of the conditions of, of selling these arms is that they will negotiate with the terrorist group holding these seven people hostage, and they will convince them to let these hostages go. Okay. And they are very confident that they are closely enough uh, tied to Iran that this is a real possibility. And certainly enough of a possibility that they're willing to risk 100 missiles which but really so isn't that much. So it's not even a sure thing. There's no there's no agreement that that will facilitate Israel selling you these missiles and you'll release the hostages. It's like a preemptive It's a soft term of negotiation. Okay. So the only thing is actually on paper is selling these uh these missiles. However, there are negotiations going on where it is made very clear that what they're expecting from these sales is their uh, goodwill and cooperation in this hostage situation. Right, right. Right? So technically they're not, say, in breach of contract to not help out with these hostages. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they're selling these munitions to them so that they'll release the hostages. Yeah. Now, there's some interesting things that come into play when we're looking at who knows what in the Iran-Contra crisis. Because some of the stuff, it sounds like maybe they just didn't tell the people that they were supposed to do, that they were supposed to tell. Yeah. Sometimes it sounds like maybe what's happening here is some plausible deniability. Sure. And most of the time, I would say the great majority of the time, it's impossible to tell which one it is. So, what happened was that McFarlane, the, the security advisor, told Reagan that there was a moderate faction within Iran 
that was positioning themselves to take over once the Ayatollah was was ousted from power during this war. So the the assumption was that they continue supplying uh, Iraq with intelligence and with uh, weapons. Sure. That Iraq should be able to overthrow the Iranian government, and when it does, there's this military, there's this faction within Iran that is much more reasonable, much less uh, theocratic, much more America-oriented. Sure. That it would be kind of nice to get these guys to get their goodwill, basically. Okay. And that these people had promised that as a show of their, like, of the fact that they were actually legitimately able to wield some sort of power, that they were going to negotiate the release of these hostages with this terrorist group so the story that mcfarland is telling reagan let's keep this clear is that there's a group that are positioning themselves to take over after an iranian coup this group is promising to release some hostages separate from that we should show our support for this group by facilitating sale of arms to them as a show of good faith okay and so just just to kind of, I don't know, I guess keep it straight in my head, this is like, when you say that that's what McFarlane told Reagan, mm-hmm. that's what, that's the official party line, that's what Reagan says that McFarlane told him? Both of them agree on that point. Okay. That doesn't mean it's true. I don't want to be too paranoid about this whole thing. Yeah, no, I'm just... But no, 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 that's, that's a reasonable question to ask. It absolutely is. I, I just want to be very clear that what the official story is on any of this stuff doesn't necessarily mean that it's the way that it goes down. It's just that that's what we know to the best of our knowledge. And in this particular situation, we have to acknowledge that that might not be entirely complete. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 yeah so that's, that's why I'm may, maybe being a little bit more cagey than I normally would be on some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's fair. As far as the president's office is concerned, they are building goodwill for future uh, leaders of Iran after this anti-American faction has been taken out of power. Sure. Which... Which even the official party line is still a pretty shady... Eh, yes, it is. But it's no shadier than anything else that anybody else is doing. Right. So, and I mean... The sale of arms, like, that's the other thing, too. We look at it and and go, like, oh, they're selling them weapons. Like, that seems really shifty. But, like, the sale of weapons is a sign of a strong alliance between two two countries because it's a sign of trust that you're not going to be using those weapons against you. Sure. Right? I mean, uh, you know, as, as Canadians, like, half our military hardware, probably more than half our military hardware is American, and we've bought it wholesale from the United States given it a new designation and maybe like a couple of uh custom modifications sure you know uh there's the there's these fighter jets that they've been talking about well they haven't been talking about much in the last little while but they did for a while like quite a bit a couple of years ago yeah those are american jets yeah i guess i'm just thinking more in terms of like shady like shady in the respect that that you know they're still they're technically supplying arms to both sides of a conflict Oh, I see what you mean. Yep. Nope, that is true. Um, the way that that... And, and and then you get into this whole double think thing, right? Like where you've got to sort of convince yourself the two completely 
uh, opposite things. Like it's 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 cognitive dissonance is what it is. Yeah. The two completely opposite things actually make a lot of sense when you think about it. See, the way that you're not thinking about it, Paul, that you really should be because it's the right way to think about it, is that doing those two things that seem opposite are actually working towards the same goal, which is the removal of the Ayatollah from power in Iran and the stabilization of the Middle East through both uh, uh, a friendly government in Iraq and a newly instated friendly government in Iran after the current regime is overthrown. Oh, well, when you put it that way. But, I mean, I, I, I'm being a little facetious, but honestly, that's the way yeah. that, they're, they're, that they're framing this in their mind. And I don't, you know, with some hindsight, there's a lot of problems with it. And even when it's not in hindsight, there's a lot of problems with it. But it is internally consistent. And I think it's very forgivable for someone to actually believe that. Yeah. I don't think that it's necessarily morally reprehensible i i i personally think it's wrong but again i'm not the one that's making these policy decisions and i have no you know i have no say on the future of uh the state of the middle east for sure and i feel like maybe when you do maybe that kind of skews your decision making a little bit because that's a lot of stress to be under yeah so they come to reagan with this proposal and reagan says it sounds pretty good uh, it's also an opportunity to box the Soviets out of Iran because they're not even trying to get into Iran first, sure. right? And this means that they get a, a head start when the revolution inevitably comes for a more moderate government. If they have a couple of years head start on relations with this new group that's supposedly going to be taking over from the inside, mm. that just means that that's one less region that we have to worry about the Soviets gaining influence in. Right. So... He's looking at it going, okay, we box out the Soviets. We uh, establish better relations with a country that, you know, just had a revolution and kidnapped all of our embassy. And, you know, since then has never actually had any diplomatic relations with us. Anything is an improvement over that. Sure. And we can rescue some hostages while we're at it. Seems like a pretty reasonable deal. Again, problems, but... You know, I can stop maybe qualifying that every single time I say a thing about the Iran-Contra affair because there are always problems. Yes. Let's be super clear. The reality of the situation is that these arms were being sold to Iran. They weren't being sold to a moderate group within Iran. That is a story that McFarlane told Reagan. Okay. Or maybe it's a story that both Reagan and McFarlane are telling to all of us after the fact. I don't know. Doesn't matter. We're going to go with what we know. First sale happened in August of 1985. Like I said, it was about 100 tow missiles. And it went fine. I mean, no hostages were released, but it is just the first sale. I mean, you got to give them a chance to, you know, say, make sure that the weapons work properly. Sure. Make sure that there's no, I don't know, tracking devices on them. Like, there's a lot of trust that needs to be built when you're dealing with, uh, you know, illicit arms sales. I can only imagine. I hear those guys are a little twitchy. <laughs> Second sale in September of 1985, one hostage was released. Great. So we're building trust on both sides. You know, one hostage is released. Some arms are sold. Yep. Everybody's doing what they're saying, what they're saying that they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And that's really important in a situation like this. And everybody's kind of happy with the, uh, the motives that are involved here too. Sure. Then in December of 1985, uh, December 4th specifically, McFarlane resigns. He cites uh, reasons of wanting to spend more time with his family. You know, it's one of those, 
it's one of those it could be absolutely what's going on it could be a complete like made up lie i don't know time with your family sounds like code every single time yeah even when it really is just wanting to spend time with your family which is a very reasonable reason to retire the same day the same day he retires there's this uh military aide uh on the national security council named oliver north okay he proposes a new plan for this iranian weapons deal he goes listen things have been going really well so far but I've got an idea. We're going to make this better. Two ways. Number one, let's stop going through Israel. This is dumb. Like, why are we pretending like we're actually, you know, we're actually at arm's length on this when we're just selling arms to Israel? This is silly. That part, we're going to propose to everybody. The president's going to hear about that. The You know, all of the, the, the NSC is going to hear about that. Part two, we're going to keep this part real quiet. See, NSC has a bit of a problem down in Nicaragua. They haven't been able to fund the Contras since 1984 when those Boland... Right, right, when when the funding was was cut. Yeah, exactly. But they want to keep funding the Contras because they can't have the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. It's too many Reds too close to home. Since then, they've been trying to give them some support out of what's known as the Black Budget. Okay. Um, Black Budgets sound super sketchy. It's important to realize that every single country has a black budget and that it is a very, it's a very normal pro, uh, part of running any country whatsoever. A black budget is simply a portion of the budget that is reserved for uh, anything that involves national security, that requires secrecy, because every country does stuff that requires secrecy. Yeah. Like, there's no getting around that. Sure. And... The thing is, like, as, as, as citizens, we have a right to know what our government is spending money on, right? So ideally, like in a, in a free society, any citizen should be able to see the government's budget, right? The problem with that is that the more accessible that information is, the more that like, anyone can see it, anyone in the sure, world, it, right? It could weaken your position relative to everybody else. Yeah, so if I put into the budget... You know, hundred thousand dollars for secret spy camps to put in space to look at Iran. I mean, that's kind of a problem, right? Like, yeah. you can't just do that. So there's a black budget that's just you know a, a lump sum that is put aside for things that are covert. And I mean, the C- the CIA gets its own black budget as well as the U.S. government. So there's there's a lot of sort of secrecy going on with the with the money there. But again, I I, I do want to stress it's not that insidious. It sounds sure. it sounds incredibly shady. Okay, I have a quick question, sort of unrelated. No. When uh, so it's acknowledged that that every country has a black budget. Mm-hmm. Will a country in its overall budget acknowledge how big their black budget is? Yeah, generally they'll okay. say an amount. Okay. But yeah, the, the question at that point is always like, well, what are they spending it on? That's the well, thing. I just that... wondered if they were willing to acknowledge like how, because I mean, if a country's black budget is is smaller, then you could maybe assume that they they're not spending quite as much on sure military as as another country. Sure, absolutely. And I mean, standard military spending even goes into the budget. That's not the kind of thing that necessarily right goes in the budget. But yeah, I, I I see what you're I see what you're driving at. Yeah, no, the the overall amount will be there. For a country, I mean, for the United States, the black budget is so huge that 
it's basically meaningless to even just see the amount that's set aside for sure, the black budget. Sure. There's so many covert things going on. And and again, necessarily so. Uh, I suppose people could argue with me on that one, but there's certain things that you just don't want to tell everybody because it's threatening the uh, the security of both your country and of people that are working on these projects. Sure. That black budget is going to be so huge that... It could be anything. You can't really learn a whole lot from realizing that, you know, the U.S.'s black budget is three times the size of your entire budget. So good luck. Um, You know, that's just kind of how it goes. So they've been funding the, the Contras out of the black budget to some extent, but they do need that money for other stuff as well. And they can only spare so much to go to the Contras and the Contras are hurting a little bit over this. Now, Again, this should be pointed out. This is in direct contradiction to a congressional order saying we are not funding the Contras anymore. Right. But at the same time, because it's coming out of the black budget, there's no accountability for it because there's no uh, record of it. So no one can can accuse you of doing it. Not really. Not really. And I mean, the CIA will have their own internal records for all of this stuff. Sure. And if it came down to it, that could be requisitioned if you were the right person in government, but people don't go around requisitioning the black budget constantly. That's bad news bears. Specifically because the more people have their hands on that information, the the more likely it is to get out. Yeah, I feel like continually requesting or requisitioning information regarding the black budget is a good way to get yourself disappeared. (laughs) Well, there is that too. So the second part of North's plan Oliver North is such a great name, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's pretty solid. <laughs> I just really like it. Um, the second part of North's plan is, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to contact Gorba directly. We are going to put a $15 million markup on all of these weapons. Gorba is going to take his regular cut. I think it's 41%. And Iran is in the middle of a war with Iraq and no one else will sell them anything, so they're going to they pay have no it. choice. Iraq, Iran was really mad about this when it did actually go in place, but eventually they bought the weapons at the slightly higher price. And North goes, we can't just take that markup and like funnel it back into, you know, uh, social security or something. Cause having $50 million check from Iran is going to look real bad right now. Sure. What we're going to do is we're going to take that $15 million and we're going to funnel it straight into Nicaragua to help out the Contras. And we're not just going to write them a check, but we're going to set something up. He called it the Enterprise, which is the most sinister name I've ever heard. Yeah, no, that's, that's, it's just, it's scary. (laughs) So the idea, the idea then being, I hope I'm not spoiling anything that basically that, that it's history. There's no spoilers. Iran would play, would pay that, you know, that markup, that increase yep. directly to the Contras? No. Oh, okay. Not quite. That's what the Enterprise is for. Okay. The Enterprise is this shell corporation created by North and entirely run by North, who is working for the NSC. Um, okay. The Enterprise... And, they, and a giant, <laughs> rote, like, helicopter-style base in the sky, right? Yeah, it, it, it landed in a volcano when it needed to refuel. Okay, okay. Um, uh, no, actually, they had several cargo planes. They owned several cargo planes. 
Amazing. They had they had their own airfield. They had a number of warehouses and a whole bunch of Swiss bank accounts. So Iran would pay the enterprise for brokering this deal through Gorba. So the Iranian government would pay Gorba for the for the uh, the arms. Gorba would take his 41% cut, give the rest to a representative of the enterprise, okay. who would funnel it into Swiss bank accounts, kind of swap it around in there for a while. This would be used, a small percentage of it would be used to run the enterprise itself, because running like an airfield and multiple cargo planes and stuff isn't free. Sure. Although that was being partially funded by the black budget as well. Uh, there was both going on here. The enterprise wasn't self-sustaining. It was it was under the NSC. Let's be very clear about that. Okay. And had CIA involvement. Uh, and then the rest of it would be used partially to just give the Contras straight cash. But remember, they're camping in Nicaragua and Costa Rica. They don't have like a ton of access to arms dealers, say. Sure. So a lot of that money would go t- instead to buying arms and flying missions over places where they knew the Contras were and doing cargo drops. Oh my God. That's incredibly sinister, but also super cool. This is what I was talking about earlier, like in the, in the, in the first half where uh, I was saying that it kind of sounds like this stuff's all made up. Like it, it does, yeah. It, it it just it doesn't sound like a real thing that an actual government organization would do. I don't quite understand why they had to give it a name. I think Did that's it what it was. Have a name, or was that just kind of what they called it after the fact? It has a real name. I forgot to write it down, so I'll have to add it to the notes. Sure. It's much more boring because like it's the just a self incorporated. Well, no, it was. It, it was. It, it's something super boring. Like it's very generic. I okay. can't remember it for but the life. But they did. Of they me. did try to give it a somewhat legitimate sounding name. Yeah, yeah. But like in in like a really like boring way. Like what is what's the corporation James Bond always works for? Is it Imports International? Oh, I forgot. I don't know enough James Bond. I think it's Imports okay. International. But something something kind of like that, where See, James better... Bond walks up and gives a, a car that says Imports International. At first, I thought it was just actually called the Enterprise. No, they didn't. So they didn't have business cards that said the Enterprise, but that's what they referred to it as internally in the NSC. Yeah. They had to talk about stuff that was involved in this process of funneling funds from Iranian we- weapons sales into. Uh, liquid assets to fund the 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 contras right they would talk about it as being part of the enterprise the enterprise was sort of a collection of components that made up this this uh this system okay that that channeled all of this stuff so i mean north just looked at this as like a really neat solution to two problems that they had basically because as he saw it on one end he was getting hostages freed on the other end, he was funding a, a what he saw as a legitimate freedom-fighting organization that was attempting to overthrow a communist organization. Mm-hmm. And again, we're looking at some cognitive dissonance here, but if you think about it and, and you, you really give it some consideration and just a touch of empathy for North, you can kind of see how that works in his head. You can kind of see how nothing about this seems like he's doing a bad thing. Sure. So as soon as North proposed this new system, like two days after McFarland resigned, 
you know, he, he came up with it right away. They presented it to Reagan two days after McFarlane had resigned. The Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense both came out really strongly against it and remember he didn't mention this part about funneling it to the contras right all he's talking about is the iran directly to yeah right and they they hated it they didn't like the idea they said that this sounds too much like arms for hostages yeah uh this is the thing that you keep saying in speeches that we will never do yeah uh let's not go there and it's interesting because actually both the the secretary of state george schultz and the secretary of defense casper weinberger what a mouthful would later be uh, indicted over this whole thing, even though they objected strongly. Huh. Um, Reagan, he was okay with it. Again, there's this cognitive dissonance going on, but he's going, yeah, but we're going to save some hostages doing this. And that's a good thing. Did they talk about how they were going to spin that? Like them now selling directly to Iran? They basically sh- talked about it as being cutting out the middleman of Israel as as well as as well as um it it would in the long run be cheaper because they wouldn't have to reimburse Israel for whatever they were paying to uh to Gorba for his cut of the right. the process, right? But I guess like publicly how oh, are they going to This isn't a thing that they talk about publicly. Okay. They this isn't the kind of operation that anyone knows about outside of the oval office okay so this isn't public knowledge like at all yeah this yeah yeah so i the, mean so, the, so then the, the selling to israel or israel selling to iran and then the united states then then turning around and selling to israel yeah is kind of just like it's a safeguard nobody's going to know about the sale anyways but let's just have that well, if you've got protection. yeah, if you've got inventory going out, and someone says, "Hey, where's that inventory going?" You can say to Israel, right? Basically, they said no one's going to care about a couple thousand tow missiles. Okay. Let's just do this directly. Sure. Now it's interesting that about this time, it stops being uh, a moderate faction within Iran that they're talking about, and becomes moderate army leaders within the Iranian government. Okay. Which kind of just gets taken in stride. It's still sort of assumed that, like, when when the revolution comes, that these will be the guys that come out on top. Yeah. And that they'll still... Like, so, so that whole narrative of, like, building relationships early still kind of stands. But they're, like, easing them into this idea of, like, no, it's not... It's not a rebel faction within Iran that we're selling to. It's, it's Iran. Yeah. But as long as it's moderate army leaders, then they can still kind of make it work in their heads sure at this point in time uh mcfarland who's retired actually flies to london and has a meeting with gorba and he tries to arrange the release of the rest of the hostages without having to sell any more arms to iran basically he's going can you talk to these guys and say we've already given you a bunch of stuff these are only seven hostages only six now uh because one's been released can you just let them go? Uh, it doesn't work out. Gore... I kind of didn't think that it would. The problem here is that too many people have too much money tied up in this whole process. Yeah. North is looking at using it to fund the Contras. Uh, Iran wants more weapons for the, the hostages. Gorba is making a 41% cut off of every arms deal yeah. that happens. This isn't looking promising from an altruistic point of view. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Now, the new national security advisor, John Poindexter, uh, looked at... I know, it's a funny name. <laughs> I know, it's okay. It's it's okay. I've been there so many times over the last couple of weeks. Alright. <laughs> General Poindexter. <laughs> Uh, he went ahead and uh, approved North's plans without presidential approval. Okay. Yeah, like, so he just said, yeah, go ahead, funnel it to the Contras, no problem. And again, the official story here is that Reagan had no idea. Poindexter just took took ownership of that decision and, and made it and made it happen. Which, again, isn't great. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a good thing, but no. it, once again, protects the president. Which is interesting. We'll get to that a little bit more later. Um, We'll leave that there for now. So, I mean, really what it comes down to is that they've got the system set up. The whole enterprise is built around circumventing those Boland amendments that we talked about without a lot of success. Like, it's not really doing what we want it to do. The, The Contras are no closer to defeating the Sandinistas. The Iranian government still isn't really releasing any more hostages. You know, it's it's not it's not working. Yeah, we're up to by October of 1986, so about a, a little over a year worth of negotiating these deals. The United States has sent eight different shipments, which ends up being in the thousands of tow missiles. It also includes some anti-air missiles, some spare parts for a bunch of these missiles, like a lot of equipment. Sure. And you know, over all of this time, all but two of the original hostages are released. Which sounds great until you realize that means five hostages were released for thousands of missiles. Yeah. For eight different deliveries under the table. Six of those deliveries funding Contras. And Well it, it's it's I mean, yeah, if you're if you're Iran and you're getting you don't have to release a hostage for every shipment you receive, then then why would you? Yeah, exactly. And you've got people on one side that are too wrapped up in this idea of rescuing these hostages to realize that it's not working well. You've got other people making too much money to care. Sure. And, you know, and during this time, three other Americans were kidnapped by a different terrorist group that it's unknown whether or not they were related. Yeah. Uh, It's hard to say. It may just be that they heard that, hey, they're paying for hostages now. It may just be that this was a way for Iran to hold some cards back, right? Like sure. maybe they can release the original seven, but at least they've still got three American hostages if they need them. Yeah. But all that being said, it's working fairly smoothly. It's not doing what it was originally intended to do, but the way the enterprise was set up, i.e. a, a system for funneling money from Iran into Nicaragua, is working great. And when things are working great, but we're talking about them anyways, that's usually when something goes really, really wrong. Yeah. So I think we're going to take a quick break and we'll talk about where it all falls apart as soon as we come back. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, we're back on HI101 here with Paul McGowan. Hey there. Hey. And everything's just going swimmingly for the Enterprise right now. Yeah, they got a cool name, and they've got cargo planes, and... I, I bet all their employees wear, like, matching black coveralls, and... Yeah, with, like, black berets, and... Mm-hmm. 
The whole nine yards. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they have various tanks of acid sitting around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. What a name. I Yeah, it's got the real name, but I prefer the Enterprise just vastly. Yeah. So everything kind of went sideways in November of 86. Uh, within two days, two huh. very big things happened. Okay. First of all, on November 3rd, a uh, an Iranian official, last name of Hashemi, I can't pronounce these names, I'm so sorry. He was an official in the Iranian, like the, the religious military branch. Okay. So there's several branches of the military. This one is concerned with like enforcing religious law. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what you get with a, with a system like Iran's. He was actually a former um, imam who had been defrocked, but then managed to uh, to get a position within this organization. He he told the Lebanese magazine that this was going on. He he was he was fairly anti-American and didn't like that this was going on, so he decided to break the news. Okay, uh, which the Iranian government was not happy about, by the way. You know, exposing state secrets and whatnot. Yeah, it ended about as well as you'd expect expect um he was executed about a year later for officially different reasons but i can't imagine this helped yeah Uh, you know as as they do um so this this magazine article was published on november 3rd basically saying yep the the iranian government is buying weapons from the united states wow and how long did it take for word to get to america uh fairly quickly it happened pretty quickly. November 5th, two days later, a uh, one of these airdrops that I was talking about over yeah. Nicaragua was shot down by the Nicaraguan uh, military. And one of the people on board survived. And while in captivity, probably very freely offered up the information that uh, his colleagues on board the aircraft had been CIA. Shoot. Yep. That's a bad couple of days. That's a bad couple of days. Later, he said he didn't know whether or not they were CIA. He was just... He wasn't <laughs> sure why he said that. Um, yeah. It's a bad couple of days. Reagan appeared on TV on the 13th to address the, the Iranian situation. The whole Nicaraguan thing hadn't broken yet. Okay. Um, and basically, he he focused on the hostage relief efforts. And... His, his message in a nutshell was, listen, we're trying to get Americans home here. It is, sure, is really what it came down to. I would, I would guess, played fairly well. Yeah, it, it went fine. Reagan was a fairly well-liked president in general. Like, his, his approval rating was, was generally fairly high. And he, well, I mean, he, he knew how to... He had presence, let's put it that yeah. way. He, he was very good at presenting himself. So it, it went just fine. Until... We get to November 21st when Oliver North starts, Oliver North and his secretary start shredding hundreds, probably thousands of documents, which is always a really good sign that you've done nothing wrong. Of course. Uh, Not only shredding documents, apparently until a government grade shredder was jammed. Do you know how hard it is to jam a shredder? Well... I mean... Not one of the staples ones that goes over your waist can, <laughs> but, like, a real, like, industrial shredder. Well, I mean, lesson number one of shredding a document is, like, 
one at a time. Don't <laughs> rush it. You set aside a few hours. What's the capacity on your shredder? Yeah. Is it five sheets? Only do three. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just, I think they got a little overexcited. They also did things like alter documents. Destroy documents either by obscuring things or by just like ruining them, say burning or with water. Uh, so why, if I, most of this was coming out of the black budget anyways, uh-huh. why, which, what documents were they? I wanted to mention one more thing that they oh, did. Oh, okay. Was remove documents from the premises, often by stuffing them in their socks when they were going home. What? So what? let's go back to the whole, I know it sounds crazy. So let's go back to like, what is their personal justification for doing these things? Right. So his secretary, Fawn Hill, was just doing what her very scary boss was telling her to do. I would have done the same thing. He was a Marine. He was, you know, he was giving her orders. If a Marine tells you to put a document in your socks. Yeah. You do it. You do it. That's just what it, that's how it goes. Also, like, I would imagine her job involves shredding documents all the time. I bet she got a lot of documents in before she realized anything was weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So her complicity in that, well, I mean, I guess by the time she's showing them in her stockings, I guess she probably knows something's wrong. But or, like, or when Oliver North starts trying to jam in hundreds of pages into the, into the shredder at a time. <laughs> but I mean, to start out, I don't, I don't think she necessarily understood the full uh, ramifications of what she was doing, at least to begin with. Yeah. So North's. Uh, North's justification for what he was doing was that all of the documents, this is, this is what he's said, is that all of the documents that he destroyed had names of people who were involved with these operations on them. Okay. And he did not want to compromise the identity, identities of those involved with the operation. Okay. He was worried that the investigation would expose people who were in dangerous situations overseas. That's... Probably not true for all of the documents. Yeah. You know? But again, what we're really dealing with there is a man trying to protect his innocence and then getting caught and then having to come up with a justification for what he did after the fact and landing on this. Of course. That's that's my personal opinion, but that seems like the most likely interpretation of the situation. Yeah. Around the same time, the new uh, National Security Advisor, General Poindexter was also destroying documents. Okay. So, I mean, it's not as though North was doing this in a vacuum. It was... There was a bunch of people that were destroying a bunch of stuff. Yeah. It was open season on paper. It's possible that Poindexter may have shredded the only copy of a signed presidential order authorizing one of the, the shipments to Iran, which would have looked really bad for Reagan. Right. That's That's something that came out in testimony later on when this was being when this was being investigated we have no proof one way or another that's just something that somebody said so when oliver north had this plan to send shipments directly to iran um reagan was told about it he wasn't told about the funding of the contrast part that's correct um but so when he um went public and said you know yes we were doing this we're just trying to bring americans home did he admit his involvement or was his line at the time that he knew nothing about it he's 
you know, I haven't actually read the speech. My impression that I've gotten from the reading that I've managed to do on this is that he didn't deny knowledge of the sales of weapons to Iran. Okay. What he did say was that he believed... He 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 basically told people that it, uh, about the old arrangement, the one through Israel. He realized that weapons were going to Israel and that they were ending up in Iran, and he was aware that this was a deciding factor in hostages being returned. Okay, but he stood by the position that it was not arms for hostages. Okay, which again doesn't make sense until you think about it enough and in the right sort of ways and someone can help you think about it that way <laughs> yeah yeah uh it, it it yeah it's very contradictory but yeah even at this point he was saying like no we're not negotiating with terrorists what we're doing is making a friendly arrangement between you know just two sovereign nations just hanging out and having a good time and maybe getting some hostages back and yeah it would have you know if some if some arms cross some borders in in the process eh, it's how it goes sometimes yeah so so yeah, I mean he wasn't he wasn't saying to the public, uh, you know, yes, we're selling arms to Iran. He avoided saying anything directly about that if he could at all, and what little he did admit to was uh spun heavily towards towards it not being a, a direct one-to-one ratio. Right. You know what I mean? On November 25th, remember we had been shredding documents between the 21st and the 25th. Mm-hmm. The uh the Attorney General a uh, guy named Edwin Meese uh, admitted that the profits were going to the Contras. This was the first that the American public had heard anything about this. Uh, the outrage was fairly large. Because, I mean, I think everyone sort of has an idea that just about any country's intelligence agencies are going to be doing things that are not necessarily hundred percent legal with sure. the understanding that they are being done for the national interest and also with the understanding that the public doesn't need to hear about it because they want to pretend that those things aren't happening right which is a very cynical way for me to phrase that I understand but I don't think it's necessarily untrue intelligence agencies are there to keep people safe I'm trying to remember there's a line somewhere about being the the, the people who are uh, yeah, uh, they're the people to be the the scary things in the night that uh, so that you don't have to worry about the For other sure. ones. And it, it, it makes sense on a very basic level. It's like if you knew about every every threat on an airplane, every every threat of of a bombing at a mall or whatever, you would never leave your house if you knew if you knew every every everything that these guys come across. Not to mention the level of comfort and trust you might have with your government if you understood the number of ways that they had somehow gotten involved in a in an extra legal capacity yeah you know at home or overseas so you just kind of have to assume that they're doing things if they are going outside the law they're doing it for a good reason sure really is what you're trusting them with is good judgment yeah and what you have here if you're a member of the public is Two years ago, the government very publicly stopped funding the Contras because of all the horrible things they were doing. Right, right. Two years later, you find out that not only are you still funding 
the Contras, but you're doing it by selling weapons to the Iranians. That's uh, the double whammy. It's harder to spin as a good thing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all those really good reasons that we talked about before, they kind of evaporate a little bit. Yeah. I had to stop and think about it for a second, like what they actually were. Because it really does only work when you hold them a certain way in your head. Yeah. And once they come under any scrutiny, uh, that way falls apart a little bit. Poindexter resigned the same day that this news came to light. North was fired by Reagan. Which, dang. Wow. But, I mean, he did run the Enterprise, so... Mm-hmm. You know, it's it seems reasonable. And... Uh, that same day, Reagan created a special review board to look into the matter. Um, there's a couple of different types of commissions uh, in the United States. One of them is a pres- presidential commission. The other one is a congressional commission. They're used for investigating certain like special circumstances. Sure. For example, there was the the, the 9-11 commission. Right. Right, where there's a, a government body basically interviews experts, witnesses, if a crime was committed, suspects. Um, And try and gain a comprehensive and official stance on what has happened. Gotcha. Okay. So the the presidential commission was uh, headed by uh, Senator John Tower. So it ended up being called the Tower Commission, which is a pretty good name. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, Secretary of State uh, Edmund Muskie and former National Security Advisor Brent Snowcroft were also on the commission. So it's led by three people. You've got a, a, a secretary of state, a senator, and a formal, a former NSA, which is good because you've got a number of perspectives on it. And having a former uh, national security advisor on there gives good perspective into what current national security advisors have probably done horribly wrong. Sure. They interviewed over 80 people, including Ronald Reagan. They got Gorba there actually, to talk to him wow. about what was going on. Yeah, it was fairly comprehensive and fairly quick for a, a commission, actually. They published their 200-page report uh, in February of 1987, so just a couple of months later. Yeah. Usually these things take months, if not years. They officially determined that Reagan didn't know the full extent of the enterprise. That okay. was the decision that they came to. They also determined that she, he should have had better control of the NSC. Basically, they said, if your people are doing this stuff, you probably should have been paying more attention. Yeah. Uh, there was also a congressional commission came out with sort of a similar uh, decision. Uh, a, a quote that I saw a number of times from the official report of that is, if the president did not know what his national security advisors were doing, he should have. Okay, yeah. fair enough. They were they they did invent something called the Enterprise, which was a collection of shell companies funneling money from one terrorist <laughs> organization to another. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, the day before the congressional hearings began, the director of the CIA, a guy named William J. Casey, suffered a stroke. It turned out that he had a fatal brain tumor, and he died like one day into the commission. Wow. Basically, the Congressional Commission wasn't as kind to Reagan as the Presidential Commission was. Their their official determination was that between the death of Casey and the shredded documents, they could really not make a conclusive decision as to who knew what about everything that had gone down. 
So a lot, a lot murkier. Than... Yes, but I mean that that admonition of of Reagan was still in there. That like, what are you doing? Like, get a hold of your staff. Yeah. Well, like, the yeah the the them stating that they can't really determine who knew what almost sounds like a like like well we we think he knew but we can't say that he knew. Let's let's play a quick word association game. Okay. I say. Uh, U.S. presidential political scandal, you say? Nixon. Yes. Uh, I was looking for Watergate, but yes. Yeah. Why was Watergate such a problem for Nixon? Because they had him on tape? Because they had him on tape. That's exactly right. It is very problematic for a president to go on record, especially about things that he shouldn't be going on record about. Yeah. Especially about anything that in any way looks like it could be a problem in the future. If you're president, don't sign anything. <laughs> like, don't sign anything. Here, here's, here's an interesting tidbit for you. Bill Clinton sent two emails during his two terms in office. Wow. Because as a president, his emails could be subpoenaed as a form of government communication. Two emails. One of them was to the International Space Station, basically saying congratulations <laughs> for being in space. Granted, I mean, this was... I That's mean, this a pretty was also... safe email to send. Yeah. Well, no, but I mean, he, he was in office 92 to 2000. Right. Email has been around a lot longer than the World Wide Web, which is what you're thinking of coming in in like 94. Like email's yeah. been around since like the 70s. It's been a lot more ubiquitous in the last, you know, 15 years, say. But the fact stands that even though all these intergovernmental uh, agencies are using emails, he wouldn't touch the stuff on advice of his lawyers. Yeah, yeah. It's a good practice to have because Nixon, Watergate, he was on tape. There was no getting around the fact that he was on tape. Now, you know, not even 10 years later... Yeah, ten years later, uh, Reagan has obviously learned a, a lesson here. Yeah, his name isn't on anything. Now, all that really does is cast doubt, right? It means that we can't prove for sure that he knows anything about this. But if he did, he wasn't going to admit it. Yeah, and if he did, there wasn't going to be anything to prove it. Watergate was a tough lesson for politicians in the United States. But there's a marked difference between pre- and post-Watergate in terms of what you'll see out of presidents and their uh, willingness to, say, put their names on memoranda that go out, things like that. Yeah. There's tons of stuff with JFK's name on it about the Bay of Pigs or about, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis or whatever, right? right? right. You don't get that after Nixon. It just stops. So then you just... So then if you're, if you're meeting with... Let's say you're the head of the CIA and you need authorization for a covert mission. That authorization becomes just like an implied oral thing or... More like there is a signed presidential order that gets filed away in a place in the CIA that... That it's never coming back It's never coming back. All right. And I mean, if something... if, If... it's it's one of those things where it's like if the circumstances came up that if you're better off having that signed presidential order, yeah. then you've got it to pull it out. 
But if something happens and having that signed presidential order is a liability... I don't know where it is. What signed presidential order? Gotcha. So, it's, it's, it's really a different way of looking at what the president does behind the scenes. I mean, you know, him signing a bill into law, you know, whatever. Everybody knows about it. Maybe opponents of the law have a slight problem with it, but they'll get over it. Yeah. It's... It's not the end of the world. Something like ordering something on the scale of the Iran-Contra scandal. <laughs> Maybe you don't want to put your name on that one. That makes sense. That's, uh, you know, the, the word extra legal came up before. And it's like, that's that's definitely outside the law. It directly contradicts uh, that, that congressional order. Yeah. Right? You don't directly contradict Congress. And put your name on it. Yeah. After Watergate. That's just not how it goes. So, did Reagan know what was going on? I don't know. Me, I think probably. But we're never going to have proof of that. Or if we do, it's going to be 50 years after the fact when when things get opened up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And everyone even remotely involved with it is dead and gone. Yeah. I would love to see these papers... Once the 50 years are up. But, you know, there's a reason they wait that long. Yeah. It stops mattering as much. Yeah. So, North was arrested and charged along with a couple of others, but he got off on a technicality. A lot of the other ones walked on bail. No one was ever actually incarcerated for any of this stuff. Like, for example, his his secretary was given immunity in exchange for her testimony North got off on a, a technicality involving the Fifth Amendment. He had very good lawyers, yeah. like really, really, really good lawyers, and is still actually active in U.S. government now. He had a he had a failed presidential bid at one point, actually. But how you know, how far back? That's a great question. I'll have to look up the year. I think it was versus Clinton, huh? But again, right. I'm, I'm I, I can't remember for sure, unless he was. Oh, unless it was just to be a candidate. It may have just been in the primaries. Either way, I'll stick it in the notes sure. uh, how exactly he ran for office. But, I mean, it wasn't like a complete blowout failure. Yeah. Uh, he had a shot at it. George H.W. Bush was VP at the time. He claimed and continually has claimed ever since to have been out of the loop on the whole thing. He didn't know anything about it. And any time he was asked about it during his presidential bid, he just deflected the questions. He didn't talk about it at all. Because this is this is like a year before his presidential bid. Which was successful. Yep, 88. That's incredible. I mean, I, I, I think there's there's probably enough of a difference in titles that you can you can believe that maybe the vice president didn't know. See here's the other thing though. And and this there's a couple of things I want to talk about at the end and just sort of put some information out there. I don't want to lean too heavily one way or the other on them. Sure. Bush had a meeting with a an Israeli defense secretary that almost certainly involved the defense secretary telling him the details of what was going on. That same person who would really be the only person who could contradict Bush's statement. Yeah died in a small plane accident um that doesn't mean anything necessarily there are a lot of people who think there may be a connection there yeah it's out there i you know i i i I don't want to give a ton of of credence to 
conspiracy theorists, that doesn't mean the conspiracy theories can't be thought provoking. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think the lesson is just never go out in a small plane. I think small planes are a really bad idea. Yeah. They, they crash yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's one other thing that I wanted to talk about, sort of, sort of attached, not exactly directly tied to Iran Contra, but there was a newspaper writer named Gary Webb, and he wrote a series of articles called Dark Alliance. And he wrote a series of articles... like a a Star Wars novel. (laughs) He wrote a series of articles basically outlining how after funding from Iran-Contra dried up, the Contras turned to selling cocaine to the west coast of the United States to fund their their, uh, organization. Mm -hmm. There's even been some speculation... And again, I'm just putting this stuff out there. Okay, tell you what. First, we'll do the stuff that we know. Okay. We know that they did sell cocaine. We do know that they, they, they ran drugs into the United States. We do know that that money went back to the Contras. The, there have been investigations into all of this. The U.S. government was aware of that happening. Okay. They claim that they did their best to put a stop to it. That being said, a number of people were not arrested when maybe they had a good chance of being arrested, which is kind of interesting. Where it gets a little bit more problematic is that there seems to be, there's, there's been some suggestion that the CIA helped them basically set up that distribution network. Which, you know, in the 80s stopped being just cocaine, which when we're talking about sort of the demographics of drugs tends to be a more wealthy and more white drug and became crack cocaine, which tends to target black people and lower income people. Okay. If you ever want like a really interesting read, try and figure out where crack cocaine came from. No one is entirely sure. It just sort of showed up on the West coast. And there are some people And again, I don't want to say this as though it's absolutely true. There are some people who think that the CIA may have had a hand in possibly developing the form of the the crack form of cocaine, or if not developing it, at least helping to set up the distribution network in a way that would be most profitable, namely targeting the black and Latino populations of the West Coast who would be most vulnerable to that system and that drug wow gary webb published all of this in 1996 after it was published his newspapers printed a retraction basically saying we feel like maybe gary uh embellished a lot of these details or maybe didn't do his research well enough after completely having condoned the series in 2002 gary webb committed suicide uh with two gunshots to the head what it's not medically impossible but it does again i don't i don't want to go super far down that rabbit hole right but this is the sort of and again this now 2002 that's out of history time we're not we're we're yeah we're not talking history anymore unfortunately so there's not a lot of comment i can make on that and there probably never will be it's most likely a uh, a sad coincidence i mean even his wife said that you know he he basically couldn't get a newspaper job after dark alliance yeah he was uh 
not quite fired, but almost fired from his newspaper. Basically, he was given the, the, the choice of being on like a severe supervisory probation or working for like a little like tiny small town newspaper 200 miles away. Yeah. And he took the small town newspaper and then couldn't handle it and quit and couldn't get another newspaper job. So he was in a pretty dark place in his life and it's not inconceivable that he could have been suicidal. Sure. That being said, two gunshots to the head. Definitely. Yeah. Makes you, makes you stop and think. All I'm really trying to drive at with this is that clearly there is a lot of stuff going on when uh, an interest gets so focused on a goal, like, say, ousting the Sandinistas, that they're willing to do things like fund a terrorist organization. Yeah. We trust these organizations to keep us safe, and we trust them to watch out for our interests. And I think this story is an interesting one because for once the things that they're actually doing have come to light and it's a betrayal of the public trust. Mm -hmm. Because clearly the CIA was not doing what the people were expecting them to do as an intelligence agency. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I don't want to sound super cynical. I don't want to sound super paranoid. It's not that. I think it's... I think it's healthy to acknowledge the fact that there's stuff going on that they don't tell us about. Even that sounds like a... <laughs> well, it's it hard. sounds like I'm, I'm wearing a tinfoil hat it's when I say to, that. It's hard to acknowledge the possibility of goings on that we don't know about without sounding tinfoily. Sure. It's, it's, almost, yeah. it's almost impossible. Yeah. And, and so when, when you have all of this already having happened directly with the Contras, and then you hear about more potential uh, CIA collaboration with the Contras. Yeah. It's exactly the same as when we were talking about back in the 30s and uh, Sandino telling his people that, you know, well, the U.S. are meddling in our affairs and having them absolutely believe him. Yeah. Because it's absolutely plausible. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the CIA had anything to do with the, the, uh, the drug money funding of the Contras. I have no idea. And I I highly doubt anyone ever will. That's the kind of stuff they stick in a shredder until the shredder doesn't shred anymore. <laughs> but I, I point it out because it's interesting in that, you know, after the Iran-Contra affair, haven't they lost their trust on that front a little bit? And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying never trust the government. I'm not saying don't trust intelligence agencies. I'm saying like, yeah, it's 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 possible that there's more that went on there than even we know about. Yeah. Most of the story broke, but were the commissions protecting anyone? Did they get all of the information that they needed? It's kind of hard to say. Yeah. And possibly the most frustrating thing about all of this is that it didn't work. Yeah. They rescued five hostages. Did did the Contras ever come to power in Nicaragua? No. Eventually, the uh, Sandinistas lost power in an election in 2000. Uh, or sorry, in, in 1990. I'll double check that and put it in the notes. Uh, they lost an election. I, I think it was 1990. We'll see. They lost an election. They lost power for a while. Changed their policies. Became a little more in line with uh, Nicaraguan politics and what, with what the people wanted. Came back into power in 2006. 
they're they're just a political party. I mean, like the, the yeah. all of South America has gone more leftist since the the collapse of communism. They're less of a an exception at this point. I mean, they they stood for something in the seventies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even into the eighties, they 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 stood as a symbol of if we're not vigilant, this is the way that South America is going, and communism is bad, and you know this fanatical desire to eradicate that from well from the world but especially from the western hemisphere right so no it you know the contras didn't beat the sandinistas iran never fell and became more moderate in the iran iraq war some people got really rich some people got fired five hostages came home and that's a lot to do for for that much yeah so that's the iran contra affair in a nutshell it almost it almost feels a little hollow at the end because you know like we just said you know not not much came out of it yeah but it's interesting to see the kind of things that uh you know goes on behind the scenes because we don't get to see that stuff we never get to see that stuff and when it does show up i think we're fascinated by it as much as we're repulsed by it yeah absolutely and I think it's really instructive in how human their reaction is to all of this stuff. It's not, they're not a, a, you know, a faceless entity that can work completely rationally or properly weigh every single aspect of something. They can be just as fanatical in their pursuit of an ideology as a single person can, Mm -hmm. which is scary, but interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I think that's just about covered it. Any questions, last impressions? No, it's just it's. I mean, it's it's. You're right. It's an it's an eerie thing to think about. You know when uh, we were never okay. supposed to know. Sorry, we were never supposed to know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's one of those. I guess it's one of those instances that that. I mean, I'm I'm learning. I've learned about it before, but definitely got the the in depth treatment here. And it's uh, yeah. It's one of those one of those times that makes you pause and, and think about just just what goes on behind the scenes. Some of the some of the stories you hear about intelligence agencies are so unbelievably wild that like it, uh, I have a hard time believing they even happened. There was you know they, there was like a I, I believe he was Serbian. There was a Serbian politician that was anti-Soviet that was assassinated by a guy with an umbrella that poked him in the leg and inserted a a, a a tiny pellet that poisoned him slowly over the course of a couple of days wow like he, he he shot him with an umbrella that's james bond nonsense yeah. yeah 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 you know there was a cia operative that uh oversaw the the overthrow of a country in south america and then just inserted himself as leader of that country <laughs> that's a real thing that happened I mean, the Iran-Contra affair, for goodness sakes, I, I, I watched a whole season of a comedy show that was based entirely on this scheme. And it seemed ridiculous in the show, but yeah. this really happened. Yeah. It's it's crazy. And like I said at the beginning, I you know, I, I, I tried to be very clear about the parts where I was speculating. The rest of it is on record. It's all there. It's all real. This is stuff that happened. And that's... Yeah. Uh, I think unsettling is the best word that we've come up with for it. Yeah. All right. Well, as always, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right.
legal acts are illegal whether carried out by an individual or a state. The fact that such things happen without our knowledge certainly doesn't make them acceptable. But what's fascinating about the Iran-Contra affair is that there are so few examples of an intelligence agency being caught so spectacularly that it's one of the few specimens we have of what it is they might be up to without our knowledge. That's not meant to breed paranoia, it's just a truth about global affairs that's millennia old, and it's sort of the way it is. Besides all of that thematic stuff, the Iran-Contra affair is a solid story. I mean, it has spies, rebel groups, arms dealers, and a shadowy shell corporation called the Enterprise, so, I mean, really, what more could you ask for for an episode? Next time, we'll be talking about the Meiji Restoration. That episode will be up on May 1st. As the format of this show inevitably leads to factual errors, I encourage you to visit hi101.ca and check out the corrections posted there. That's hi101.ca. If there are any errors I haven't addressed there, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes. And remember, HI101 is a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your attention, I encourage you to look for more information. It only gets better from here. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI101. Oh,